Hello, climate change. Waking up and taking action one conversation at a time. I'm Amy Callisher, and I'm here with Angie Seth. Yay, I've been wanting to talk to you for a while, Angie. I've been sort of feeling desperate to talk to you, actually. <laughs> I'll take that as a compliment. Yes, do, do. Because it's, you know, you're in a position where you have a, a bird's eye view, in a certain, compared to me anyway, of on the science and what the science community is. So I should back up and say that Angie Seth is a climate scientist, a climate modeler. That's your, your main mm-hmm. thing. And yeah. you teach climate science at the University of Connecticut. So thank you for coming. You're welcome. I'm happy to be here. So how you doing? <laughs> I mean, uh, Oh, that's a loaded question. Yes, it really is. <laughs> um, <clears throat> well, I'm doing well, and it depends Sorry. on the day. I think we have to take it a day at a time and, yeah. and see how things develop and, you know, We'll talk more about this, right? I don't really know how I am at this point. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's it's relevant, you know, like how 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 are the climate scientists feeling these days? I'm sure I'm not the only one wondering. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and it, it's not it's not just a single feeling. Yeah, from, right, right. You know, a single group. There's a lot of right. variation among us, but mm-hmm. I think you could say that there's probably a large fraction of climate scientists that are concerned mm-hmm. about the current situation in the U.S. Spoken like a true scientist. <laughs> it's so funny because I, I think like I think that one of the disconnects for for well I think it's very surface, but but um, for people who don't totally trust the science is the way scientists Talk. say yeah, yeah about you know like. It's it's very measured. You're very measured in what you say. You're concerned. Yeah. I um, spoke to a reporter yeah. about a paper that came out a week and a half ago, mm-hmm. and he asked me, aren't you, aren't you like, really worked up about this? Mm-hmm. You know? Angry? Yeah. And, and I said, well, we have to see what happens. We don't know exactly what's going to happen yet, and we have a lot of climate scientists working to try to contact this administration and and have some influence, you know. Yeah. And so <clears throat> that's all I could say at the time, yeah. because that's what we know. Right. And, and he was very adamant that, you know, we should be outraged. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean... I don't know. It doesn't I guess your emotional state isn't necessarily the most important thing. It's the actions that you're taking and right. And there's also a difference between my personal feelings about mm, yeah. a situation and um what what the reality and the the science is right. about it, you mm-hmm. know? So um I I think to some extent trying to keep emotion out of it and staying clear-eyed about what needs to be done and how to be most effective about that is Mm. the best path forward. Our emotion kind of, it is an emotional issue and certainly many, it's easy to get wrapped up in that. Yeah. But, but to be effective, you want to channel that in a very clear-eyed way. Okay. So with that in mind, let's start with updates to the science since we last talked and i know it's been a while and maybe you don't remember exactly where we were at but it's probably been a year since we sat down and talked right yeah probably a year and a half right? and yeah, i know i mean i know sort of some of the headliney type stuff um like finding lakes in the in antarctica mm-hmm. right and that it's worse than we thought is basically usually the <laughs> headline <laughs> but um but how would you kind of encapsulate the last year's worth of, or, or whatever, the last month's worth of scientific updates? Um, I can talk about two, well, three recent things in the literature. Two are in the literature. One is more observation. So okay. Arctic sea ice. Yeah. You know, we can follow that. There's a beautiful website, the National Snow and Ice, Snow and ice Data Center. And I will, let, I'm going to just yeah. stick a little 
plug here to go to the website for this, this podcast, okay. which I will put the link that link in, and as, and okay. I'm sure that other links, other things you're going to mention, resources, yeah. and I will put them all in. Yeah. Um, so hellocc.info is the website, and uh, it'll it it lists the uh, the podcast in in recent to past order. So if you listen to this soon, it'll be the first one on the list, and all the information will be there. Okay. So anyway, so Angie, at go this on. website yeah. at the National Snow and Ice Data Center. Uh, they have, you know, real-time monitoring of the Arctic and the Antarctic. Mm-hmm. And um, in the Arctic, uh, they, there has been minimum, the minimum sea ice, which occurs in September annually because of it's the end of the summer, so mm-hmm. all the melting has been going on through the season. Yeah. So there, there's an annual minimum sea ice in the Arctic, and that minimum has been record um, for a number of times in the the last several years, this year the the minimum sea ice was not a record. Last year was a record okay. minimum, but this year, so after September, the sea ice is supposed to start growing again, right? As it, as the northern hemisphere cools down, and there's less daylight, and so. The sea ice normally starts ramping back up again after the minimum, and this year it was very slow to begin to increase again, so much so that in November they hit a record minimum for November. So even though the the actual minimum in September was not a record minimum in November, There was a record minimum for the month of November right. because there was not a recovery of the sea ice right. the way it normally would recover. Right, like I picture <laughs> these two lines on a graph, and uh, the the it wasn't as low as last time, but now it's gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and that's exactly what right. that website will show you oh, is the okay. graph that that shows yeah. the seasonal cycle mm-hmm. and how this year compares to previous years right and is that something that's happened before where the sea ice is slow no this is a brand new thing right we've never seen this before and Mm. so there's a lot of discussion about what is causing it um there there's there's lots of discussion on that website as well Mm -hmm. about it's not just that the sea ice minimums have been record Mm -hmm. you know record losses of ice but also the thickness of the ice and the age of the ice has been um, being significantly reduced. So when you have, there used to be a lot of ice in the Arctic that was, you know, at least seven years old. Now there's hardly any ice that's seven years old. It's all, you know, thinner and and younger wow. um, in age, so it's more vulnerable to melting. So this is all... You know, this is all global warming. Yeah. The ice in the Arctic is melting. It's melting faster than scientists and models have predicted. Mm-hmm. And this year was really unusual the way it went because it wasn't recovering very quickly. <clears throat> so, so that's, that's one, one thing. thing. <laughs> yeah. um, the second thing is there is a paper published by some colleagues of mine who are at the University of Massachusetts Ray Bradley and Ambarish, I'm not going to be able to say his last name effectively. I can look it up and get you the website for the paper. Um, But their work uh, looks at this question of um, at what, how long does it take the globe to get to one and a half degrees C? temperature increase versus two degrees C temperature increase. So the UN countries have decided in the Paris Agreement a year year ago, Mm -hmm. uh, unanimously there was a decision to mitigate climate change to significantly less than two degrees C Mm. for a global average temperature increase with an ambition to work towards one and a half degrees C. Right. And that ambition was to some extent because of um island nations right. and low-lying right there's regions. a great documentary about oh do you remember you probably saw it oh about the 
island nations? Yeah, there was somebody who who's been in and out of jail, who's a yeah, leader in there. The Maldives, oh, right, the leader right. Of the Maldives, and he had given the talk at the UN. Yeah, he was trying plea. to right, and he was trying to push for this one point five, whereas the mm-hmm. nations who were not um, in danger of going underwater completely, like his was, right. um, were a little <clears> less. <throat> and that's why the Paris Agreement is so striking because the unanimously the countries got together and and the the one and a half degree c commitment or or ambition mm-hmm. um was an act of solidarity with mm-hmm. these low lying nations right. and so so um so th- so now in the research community there's an effort to to look at well what is the difference in impacts between two degrees C and one and a half degrees C? And so this colleague at Ray Bradley and colleague at UMass um, have looked at, at how long will it take for us to get to one and a half degrees C and how long will it take to get to two degrees C globally from the climate model projections. And, and then also they look regionally. Well, so in North America, how long will it take mm-hmm. to get to one and a half versus two degrees? And within North America, in the Northeast versus the Northwest versus the Southwest. So this is, it's kind of made a little bit of a splash in the news if you're following this. Um, and so one of their findings is that the Northeast U.S., um, according to the models, will reach one and a half degrees C significantly earlier than the rest of North America and than the rest of the globe. You said the Northwest? The Northeast. The Northeast. The Northeast. Oh, wow. And so I think, I don't, I don't want to say the dates because I don't remember them. Hmm. It might be 2030. Hmm. Um, two degrees C by 2040. Wow. Whereas the globe would... And so, again, I shouldn't even say the dates because I don't exactly remember mm. what they are. But much earlier, maybe 2025 is one of those dates. But the Northeast is warming faster than the rest of North America wow. in the U.S. That's very surprising. Not, not than Canada. Canada is faster than any oh, place, okay. but huh. any of the lower 48. But, <clears throat> but so this is an important finding that, mm. you know, the Northeast is... For us, we should be paying attention to this. We're we're warming faster than other parts of the country. Hmm. Uh, <clears throat> and then the third, the third piece of, um, there are so many, yeah, so many things. But I, I'm focusing on the ones that I've been following <laughs> because they interest me. So there was a a paper by James Hansen, who's a very famous climate scientist last spring that I used in my one of my classes. Um, it had just come out, and he uh, is talking about <clears throat> the, the role of fresh water in the Atlantic Ocean and even potentially around Antarctica um, the, the role of fresh water on ocean circulation and, and establishing a temperature gradient, so a difference in temperature between the equator and the pole. And if you have a larger temperature difference between the tropics and high latitudes where we live, mm-hmm. you have much stronger winds and stronger storms. And so the potential effect of adding a lot of fresh water in the North Atlantic mm. is to cool the North Atlantic right. and increase the temperature difference between the North, the North Atlantic and the equator. Right. And, and that's a, it's a temporary right. situation. It's like ice melting in your drink. It makes it cool, colder, the, wa- right. the drink colder for a little while, but right. that doesn't last. Right. Yeah. So it's not, for the long-term global warming, it's not a significant impact. But for the time period where you have this cooler, mm-hmm. cooler North Atlantic, you are potentially driving much stronger storms in mid-latitudes where we live. 
And so he, he, he looks at paleo climate data and in, I think in Bermuda, there are these monstrous rocks on the shore mm. that could only have been put there by massive waves mm -hmm. due to massive storms. And so there are periods in past climates where this kind of temperature gradient could have existed to create these really violent storms mm. that would move a massive Boulders. boulder. Wow. You know, via waves. And and so he has lots of evidence in the paper and and looking at observations, there is significant freshening of the North Atlantic because Greenland is melting water into the North Atlantic. And the climate models project um, that to accelerate. Mm -hmm. And so he did some model experiments where they put a lot more fresh water in the North Atlantic and they get this very strong temperature difference and much stronger storms. So this is um, another potential consequence of warming, right? Much, much stronger storms. And, and he talks about the stronger storms we've been seeing already and how those are minuscule compared to what we could see in the future. So that's three wow. recent things yeah. and that are interesting. Yeah, interesting, alarming, all of those things. Mm -hmm. When I talked to David Clark, who's the president of the Weather Channel, mm -hmm. he was saying, and now he's in the South, he's in Georgia, yeah. right? So, um, you know, it's a different sort of social milieu, I guess. But he, he's still in, in contact with friends of ours from the Northeast. And so, um, you know, he says in general that his, he talks about climate change a lot with people and feels like there's like 85% large portion of people who believe climate change is happening, believe humans are causing it, but don't really get it how much is at stake. Yeah. Like, you know, you hear things like, grow bananas in Canada, so what, you know, yeah. but not really thinking through all the repercussions. And um, I'm just wondering when you talk to your students, yeah. what are the things that really resonate with people about how the seriousness of climate change? Yeah, there is like a couple of fundamental things we need to accept yeah. about this problem. The first is that this is real, right? Climate change is real. The physics has been understood for 150, 200 years. Uh, there is no doubt in the scientific community that this is real. Right. There is a huge consensus on this issue. It's us. We're the ones causing it. There's no question about that either. Mm -hmm. We can look at the isotopes of carbon. We probably talked about this the last time. Probably the first time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But there's there's no way to rationalize that that the CO two in the atmosphere is not right. because of us. It's because of us. So we we can link the CO two in the atmosphere to us, and we can link the CO two in the atmosphere to the warming by physics. Right, and we talked about how it all works. You know, in yeah. the first, we've actually this is the third time we've spoken. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Isn't that so, a, yeah, yeah, the so first time we did it on the, the phone? Energy balance. The energy balance. Earth's energy balance. Yes, about like yeah. the the, the whole blanket yeah. metaphor that yeah. yeah yeah. So so if people are wanting sort of a primer on on those the basic stuff, there I will link to our to, to our original one. conversation. Yeah. yeah. So so okay. So it's real. It's us. There's a consensus in the scientific community, and so the conversation that we all need to be really having is. What are we doing about it? Um, now we can say, well, at the international level, leaders around the world have committed to doing something about it. Mm -hmm. The Paris Agreement is not going to solve the problem, but it was a huge step forward and a recognition by leaders around the world that this is an urgent problem that needs to be solved. Mm -hmm. So why is it urgent? Why Exactly. Why... How did we get, you know, 197 countries to come together 
and and agree to try to limit greenhouse warming to less than two degrees C. This is a hard problem, and there's no way you could get all these countries to do it if it wasn't significant, Right. right? So it's significant because if we look at Earth's climate history, Earth's climate has changed over time mm-hmm. for in its entire history, mm-hmm. right? Temperatures have been much warmer than they are today. They've been colder than they are today. Um, but human civilization has only been around really for the last 10,000 years, and the last 10,000 years have been very stable in Earth's climate. There has been very little change in temperature Mm. of Earth, and the temperature of the Earth is the basic measure of our climate. So, So Earth's climate has been stable for the development of our civilization, and if the temperature changes rapidly, which it is going to do over the next hundred years and longer because of greenhouse gases, um, rapid changes in the climate have lots of uncertainties associated with them. You know, there are tipping points and thresholds in the system that as much confidence as we have in our ability to project the future, there are things that we don't know that could go bad that we haven't considered. You know, so if we look at the projections, the um, the probability that we'll end up on the you know good the good side of things, the system, all the feedbacks will be negative and stabilizing and you know it really won't make much of a, an a, a impact, impact. Yeah. Um, those probabilities are small the probabilities that the the temperature changes could be much larger and faster are significantly larger and so and that's where the big uncertainties are we don't if if the Greenland ice sheet starts to move faster than it is now, and it will, but we don't know how fast, how soon. Mm-hmm. If the West Antarctic ice sheet starts to move faster, um, then then these are irreversible changes that could lead to sea level rise of, you know, several meters in the next hundred years. Um, Right now, the IPCC is projecting one meter. But, but that's a pretty conservative scenario. And, and on the tail of that distribution is something that could be three to five meters. So if we get unlucky, we get three to five meters. If we get lucky, we get three feet, hmm. right? So, so if we're lucky, that's great. But if we're unlucky, three to five meters would have catastrophic consequences for many people around the world. And so that's what we're balancing here. Are Are we willing to take the risks of those catastrophic changes where there is significant probability of that? Mm -hmm. You know, if it's not, if, if we get lucky and we shift to, you know, solar and wind and renewable energy sources, it's not going to kill anybody, (laughs) right? But if we get unlucky and we don't shift, there are going to be a lot of disastrous consequences. And, And that's including humans. We're not even talking about ecosystems and other really important life support systems for us. Right. right? Yeah. I mean, I think that... It's hard to to take one piece and to have a, a a clear picture of what's at stake. You know, you think, okay, so 
um, sea level rise. Okay, well, then we just, I mean, I, obviously it's not that simple, but we just move into the, move uphill. Okay, so um, warmth. Um, so we turn something to farmland that didn't used to be farmland. or so, and It's just like there's all these li- these things that have to be done to keep human humanity going. We have to have fresh water. We have to have food. Right. And so, no, I don't think anyone is saying that humanity yeah. is not going to survive. Right. The question is, in how what, much of it? <laughs> in what form? And yeah, and and so what happens yeah. if New York and Miami and Seattle and San Francisco and the Maldives and, and the Maldives and and you know several massive cities in mm-hmm. Asia right. are submerged? Right. Right. I mean, we can't even handle the refugee problem that we have right now. Right. So. Um, and the the State Department has a report for for the U.S. Mm-hmm. on what kind of migration patterns are likely to occur mm-hmm. in the next thirty to fifty years, just in the U.S. from from city to city, state to state. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Is that something public? Can I don't. Read I don't know, but I yeah. saw a talk that had some pictures from it. Oh, okay, so it must be if somebody well, can take not necessarily. Some oh, okay. I tried to search for it yeah. and I couldn't find one. Mm. But mm. it might be something that can be requested if someone's really yeah. excited about it. Yeah. Yeah. So okay, so let's get into the political arena. What is the what is it looking like for scientists in this country at this point? I mean, it's not just being silenced, it's also losing funding. So there's a lot going on. Yeah, so uh, there again, I I it's t- so early yeah. to know what all the ramifications are likely to be. Um, you know, just the the ban on Muslims, as right. so-called, um, is already significantly affecting universities and research around the world. Right. And and so and that doesn't have anything to do with funding at this point. So there are just so many ways that this administration is going to be influencing science, mm. um, and with and and I, it it appears from what we've seen so far that they don't care, right? They just don't care. Mm. I, I, it, it, if we try to make an appeal that. The scientific endeavor is going to not fare well under certain restrictions or rules. Yeah, that's I'm not, not gonna... sure that that's going to influence them. Right. No, I don't think so. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, maybe maybe it would take a, you know certain branches of the scientific in- endeavor, you know, like. Mm. Well, like if there's some way to make health. money off of what the science scientists are doing, I think that. Uh, but then, even yeah. so, there. <laughs> It has to be very, it's almost like it has to be written in crayon <laughs> to be so, I mean, obviously there's a huge disconnect if you're thinking that hampering science is better for profits when the science is basically telling us that we're hampering humanity. <laughs> like, uh, I don't know. I, I, I guess it's easy to think uh, that it's they do know and they do understand and it's intentional and they're just trying to secure their position in their gold-plated bunkers as, as we're hearing yeah, stories about it now. Could be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, <clears throat> which is silly because it seems implausible that I don't think they're stupid. Yeah, right. But it, but it seems like there's something at work that's not rational because even if you hoard all the wealth, I mean, is it really a, a, the only? Like, if you really understand what's going on, and this is the response that you're giving, uh, the people in power are giving, then the only conclusion I can think to draw is that they think we're just going to hunker down, and a lot of the the less, uh, the more vulnerable will be gone from the planet, and then we'll at least we'll survive. Is it, but it seems. But who's gonna? Why would you choose cut that? the grass at his golf? Exactly. Courses? Who's gonna? Who's gonna pick the vegetables? Who's gonna plant the vegetables? I mean, all of that, that lifestyle. But see, what I guess what I'm saying is, if 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 they, if they believe what's happening is real, 
they must think it's so bad that it's it's going to be survival of the fittest, quote unquote, or the richest, and it's just about survival. Otherwise, it just doesn't make sense. Why would you not want to have living conditions for your slaves? <laughs> you know? So they stay alive so they can serve you. I mean, I know I'm exaggerating, but I, I guess I'm, I, I mean, the spectrum is so so wide in terms of what's really going on there, the, the speculations. Like it can be all the way to that sort of conspiracy theory extreme, or it could be that they're, you know, just bumbling and don't get it and are stupid. And I don't think that's true either. So, yeah, there's, there's some, some combination of all of the above. Yeah. I'm sure. Right. I, I think, I don't yeah. think they're stupid. I, I think that they're trying to, um, immediately respond to the wishes of their voters, the people who voted for them, and show, show like, yeah. a f- force and strength and, you know, getting things done that they said they would do. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I... But, mm-hmm. but again, when I hear the news, there was a report this morning about how chaotic... The White House is, mm. and that there is no there is no ideology. Well, there might be a couple of people that have clear ideologies, mm. but it's not clear that Trump has one, mm-hmm. right? The president mm. doesn't seem to have a clear ideology. He seems to be driven by adulation, whatever is going to get him the most mm. of mm. what he seeks. Um, so, so. Uh, I it's going to take time to wrap our heads around yeah. this and how how to work with it. Right. So um are there um impacts direct impacts at, at the University of Connecticut with this so-called Muslim ban? Yes, we've gotten some email from the president and that you know there there are faculty and students that have been affected there um, people are being asked not to travel out of the country if you're from any of these countries and even sometimes if you're from other countries because they're revoking visas Mm -hmm. and so yeah so there are definitely effects on campus already um and and you know last week there was the whole EPA silencing of the scientists at EPA. Um, yeah, I talk a the, little bit about that. So the Environmental Protection Agency uh, is really the the place where there has been the most action on climate in mm-hmm. the U.S. over the past eight years, mm-hmm. largely because the U.S. Congress will not pass any laws that will work towards um, mitigating greenhouse gases. But we have the Clean Air Act and we have the Clean Water Act that were signed into laws by the Republican president, you know, 50 years ago. Um, and, And so through the court system, the EPA has been granted authority to regulate greenhouse gases as pollutants. Mm. And so there's a clean power plan, you know, that, and the EPA has put into place, um, cafe, increased cafe standards. So the automobile emission standards have been, been increased. Did you say increased cafe standards? Yeah. What 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 is is cafe standards? Is that, is that a, an acronym? Yeah. Oh, okay. (laughs) C-A-F. I was like, how does coffee have anything to do with this? Yeah. No, it's it's an acronym and I should know what it That's stands okay. for, but it's about it's about automobile emissions requirements. I'll look it up. Corporate average fuel economy standards. There you go. Yeah. So, and that's exactly the way they work is there's a a requirement for emissions for the average fleet from a given corporation. Mm. And um so they can have some high emitting vehicles and oh i see and they have to have enough low emitting vehicles that they meet the requirements i see so in any case there those standards had not changed since 1980 until an, 
a few years ago when the Obama administration and the EPA significantly increased the standards, Mm -hmm. and they will continue to become more stringent over the next 15 years, I think. Um, Assuming that 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 law isn't repealed. Right, right. right. And the last I had read, the way they wrote it, it would be hard to repeal, Mm -hmm. but I don't know what's Mm going to happen. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. So... The EPA has been the, a center, major center of action mm-hmm. on mitigating greenhouse gases. And so this new administration came in and in week one came down very, very hard on the EPA to let it be known that they are not having any of this. Mm-hmm. And so they were, you know, scientists were told not to go on public social media and talk about results. They are, they they say they're going to do individual reviews of scientists' work at the EPA, and all manner of intrusive, right, um, activities there. So things are not looking good for the EPA right now. Yeah. Hmm. And um, I wonder how it trickles down to funding local programs. I don't really know how it all how the structure works or if funding for environmental initiatives in the state are all funded by the state or if there's things that are on the chopping block. Do you have no Well, well the, a lot of research is funded federally, right? right? So okay. the National Science Foundation, right. um, NOAA, mm-hmm. NASA, the Department of Energy, they all fund research related to climate and energy and environment. Right. And so I just heard that the NASA budget is not being affected. They but I don't really know what, you know. Right, where they're going to channel that money to something. Yeah, and they're yeah, they're talking about going after climate wherever it is in the budget. Mm -hmm. So we'll see what happens there. Um But the states, so one of the things, I went to Morocco for the UN Climate Summit. Right, with some students, right? Yeah. Yeah. And and that was right after the election. It was, you know, a big shock to the system. And then we went right off to Morocco. And what, what I found there was this incredible hopefulness, despite the U.S. election, the... I heard that the over and over again. Were they were adamant that that we're moving forward on this? We're mm-hmm. going to work towards the Paris Agreement, with or without the U.S., with or without the federal government in the U.S. The states and regions in the U.S. have very powerful influences, and we have you know the Northeast states have a regional greenhouse gas initiative. California and the Pacific states have a. a greenhouse gas mitigation program and the California governor Jerry Brown you've heard him talk about this have you he has given several talks now where he has basically said if the federal government stops funding climate we will start if the federal government stops you know funding satellites to monitor we'll fund the satellites to monitor and so so there is there's so much momentum Mm -hmm in the U.S. already, uh, both in states and also in renewable energy, that that even without a lot of support from the federal government, a lot of this stuff is going to move forward in, in the U.S. And then in the rest of the world, you know, U.S. leadership is really important, but, um, but China is going to step up. There, wherever there is a hole where the U.S. isn't going to fill it, China is going to come in and take a leadership role, mm-hmm. and they are already doing so much to reduce their own carbon footprint that I think, you know, it's it's a way for them to have more power and influence in the world. Yeah, and they will. Also, with the trade issues, right? They're already they're already the Trans Pacific Partnership mm-hmm. has been blocked, and so. China's going to step in and do things, you know, perhaps with a lot less environmental regulation than would it, there would have been with the mm. TPP. Mm. So, 
Yeah, I heard, so I never really figured out where to land on the TPP. Now that it's sort of off the table, I guess it doesn't, I don't need to figure that out. But I, you know, Naomi Klein was really against it. Yeah. Yeah. And yet there was. I'm not a, I'm not an expert on those issues at all. I can totally um, support the idea that, that those trade deals need to be much better and stronger mm-hmm. um, but they also need to have the U.S. be involved in order for that to happen <laughs> right, and right, without right. the U.S. there's not going to be mm. well it seems like it makes... they will be worse yeah well yeah I like the idea of China deciding to take take a lead because it feels like it makes sense when you look at you know all the pollution there mm-hmm. um, that they that there would be some wake up we don't have to live like this kind of thing. You know, I would hope that yeah. that, that would, that would take a foothold in people. Um, so, I mean, I kind of like the idea of the U S not being in the lead because we, we are not, I mean, we, that's part of our like national pride. And I don't think that pride, I use that pr- word pride as an, as a unhealthy thing. You know what I mean? Like yeah. a, just a hubris, I guess. Mm-hmm. So if we, see the the rest of the world stepping up in some ways i don't i don't know there's there's always going to be people who think america's the best <laughs> whatever what is uh trump well, says it right yeah america, well, yeah great. so um so this administration has an america first right policy which is yeah and and yet we're we're not going to be leading no right right that's interesting so you said something before about so the first thing is accepting that it's real, what it means that it's real, and then figuring out what to do. Mm-hmm. So I know kind of have a sense from our previous conversations where you would go from with that, but maybe you have things specific to these times. I know there's a science march coming. I, I don't know yeah, if that's... Yeah, I've been hearing about it. Yeah. I, I don't know what the details yeah, are yet. Yeah, it hasn't fully... I don't think it has fully coalesced. But mm. So what do you see as the, the things to do at this point? Yeah, well, I went to the New York City Women's March. I've mm. never protested anything in my life. You know, I'm a scientist, so yeah. I, I, I'm not that political. Mm. <laughs> I have my personal political views, but I don't usually express them you know widely Mm -hmm. so so this was my first protest and it felt really good Mm. um to be there it was historic and Mm. i i i think that i will probably be doing more of that Mm. i've also um taken note of someone else uh there are all these things going around about what you should be doing and someone said that they are writing the names and addresses and phone numbers of all of their Congress people, both federal and state, and keeping it right on their desk and being ready with either a postcard Mm -hmm. to write and put in the Mm -hmm. mail or make that phone call. Mm -hmm. And I did it. I did it. I wrote them all down. And last week I made five phone calls. Mm. So... I've never done that before either, right. you know, and, and our state, you know, senators and congressmen are pretty, um, acceptable on these issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what I'm hearing is that they still need to know. Yes. They want their phones to be ringing off the hook so that they can have the statistics to take with them. Right. Of how many people, you know, right. feel strongly about this. And so if you feel strongly about it, Get on the phone mm-hmm. and and or go see them or write letters. Send an email. Letters. Letter, emails yeah. are not as good as letters. <clears throat> if you want to write something, write it on paper and mm-hmm. put a stamp on it. Yeah. Otherwise, pick up the phone and call. Mm-hmm. And it was amazing how easy that was. Yeah. To do like I yeah. called and I thought I would be on hold or talk mm-hmm. to a voicemail or whatever. There is someone there to to take your call and write it down and put mm-hmm. it in their spreadsheet. Yep. So do that. Yeah. That I think is probably one of the most important things and show up. I think you have a whole podcast on that. Showing show up, up. Yeah. Show up at the March, yeah. you know, show up to learn. I think in the next, however many years this is going to take. Um, I, I do. I'm concerned about our democracy 
Mm-hmm. And I think that we are all going to have to be really active yeah. participants in that, yeah. not just for science, but for mm-hmm. the country as a whole. Yeah. Um, well, a couple thoughts. One is after the women's march, and I went to Hartford, a friend got a group together to just sit down and say, okay, what are we doing now? Mm-hmm. So the women's march had a initiative coming out of it, which was 100 days of action. And every 10 days, they they give you another thing. So there's 10 actions, and you have 10 days to kind of do these things. The first one was to contact your, all of your representatives. And oh, so I did that. Yay. Yeah, so you're, you're <laughs> on track. I didn't even know. <laughs> and one of the friends who came to this little circle um, brought a bunch of postcards, and uh, we looked up addresses, and we just like wrote postcards right there. But but this one person had the brilliant thought to put their those people into her phone, and yeah. I like that because you can put in. So when if you have an iPhone, and yeah. I'm, I'm, I imagine it's the same for any kind of um, smartphone. smartphone, but you put in a first name, you put in a last name, and then there's a, a space for company or something like that, and you can look. So if you write representative, anytime you go search your address book and you just type in representative all the people who have that tagged on their name are going to pop up Mm -hmm. so it gives you a nice little sorting mechanism it's with you as as often as your phone is with you and so you can just press call you can just you know shoot off an email you can and you can look up the address if you're going to mail something so so that's that's pretty cool yeah so what are the the next actions i don't know i think I think they just let you know them one at a time. Okay, good. So you don't get overwhelmed. Yeah, maybe that's... Do it we were looking for the information when we were together trying to find it online and we couldn't find it. So I'm, I feel I feel bad for my listeners here that I can't tell you what the plan is there, but um, here's an action to do. Go find out. Yeah. <laughs> just so. look up Women's March on Washington, um, 100 Days of Action, and you'll probably find out whatever information is out there to be had. But on another front... Besides the things we do to exercise our citizenship, we have people in our lives who aren't, you know, who who, who didn't vote or um, who don't do those actions. And more and more I find myself thinking, I have to make it fun. I can't, like, badger people to do this dutiful thing. You know, it's it's just maybe I write 10 postcards and, and when I'm getting together with friends say, hey, anybody want to just put their name on this one? Because this is, you know, those kind of things can be done too. So we can all become leaders mm-hmm. in a sense as well. Somebody gave me a statistic once. So it was something like if if everyone took leadership of a thousand people or, or, or there was a certain number of people, if we all led a thousand people, how there's this few number of leaders we would need. Mm-hmm. And um, I have to do the math again to try to figure it out. But it was like a worldwide figure it was taking. And it, it sort of made it seem manageable. You can imagine that many people taking leadership and and sort of turning this ship around. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Any Anything in particular you think we should be touching on that we haven't yet? Or you would like to talk about? Whether or not we should. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Well, with the idea that, um, this is for my father, Mm. so my father died recently, and he was a staunch Republican and a staunch climate denier, Mm. and I loved him dearly. Um, And so I, I think that we probably all have family members who, maybe not are quite as staunch as my father, but you know, that are uh, lean differently. Uh, and and so I think that we um, need to do a better job of communicating with them, not necessarily trying to persuade them of anything, but just having better dialogue and trying to understand, right? I've been hearing a lot about that. We need to try to understand each other mm-hmm. better so that because we do want the same thing and and not necessarily you know antagonize each other right. about your beliefs so um i think that could go a long way towards improving things yeah i agree and i especially like that you said that not necessarily with with the intention of trying to to you know influence and change right. right yeah right. Be, um but understanding better what 
what mm-hmm. their motivations yeah. are. I've been doing a little of that on Facebook, just engaging with people who are friends. I have a Facebook friend who, who I never had have had a conversation with before. She's the mother of someone I grew up with who I was never all that close with, but liked, you know, whatever. And she's just getting a chance to listen to somebody who's a proud Trump voter. And yeah, what I'm hearing is that there's a lot of pain. You know, there's a lot of like, I feel disenfranchised and no one was there to help me when times were rough. So, and, you know, and and I just, I kind of keep coming back to like, well, what happened, you know, and hearing about what her life was like when, when we were kids and me and her, her -hmm. kids were kids. Mm -hmm. Um, and it, it feels like an opportunity. Like it's, it sort of shifted this idea. Like, and, and I have to say this is happening publicly in comments to my very liberal posts and other people are chiming in and there's just clash after clash between my friends and this person because people's emotions are so high. But, um, but ultimately I find myself thinking if we can take those feelings that come up when we hear somebody say something that you know, feels like dangerous and not fully thought out or whatever words you want to put on it that probably are harsher, not you personally, but whoever's having those feelings, instead of attacking and fighting and feeling threatened, like take those feelings to somebody who has a similar mindset and vent there and then come back and listen some more. It just feels like all of that rawness is is an opportunity for, for connection. It just takes a lot of work to be able to connect when the rawness, it it rubs you raw too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I'm, I'm, and there's only so far you're going to go in a Facebook comment, you know, and who knows how many drinks a person has had when they're sitting there ranting on, yeah, on the internet. Yeah, I'm not but, sure social media you know, is the no, way No, it's not the it. way, I but I think we yeah. have to have some face-to-face conversations right. with people. But I think it's a good training ground to see what you're going to hit. Yeah. You know, like if you if you're if someone writes a post that 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 you feel stymied by and don't know what the heck you'd say and you feel anger or you feel something, you're seeing it on your screen. You're not sitting there in front of your loved one who's just saying these these words that that turn your stomach. Mm-hmm. And but but you get exposed to it. It's almost like inoculation. Mm-hmm. And so you can go into those conversations with the people that you're in yeah. person with and close with and care you want to be closer to and they'll say those things you've already heard right. and you've and had a chance to process that. Process. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think it's good. I think the social media stuff is good if you if you think of it that way and mm-hmm. use it in that way. Mm-hmm. Anyway, yeah, I agree with you though. I like I I like your having this be sort of a tribute to your father to mm-hmm. to like yeah to try to move it forward with him in mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sorry about your dad. Yeah, that sucks. Well, thank you very much. Anything else you want to say? No. Okay. Well, thanks again. I really value the you giving me some of your time to do this. So. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, thanks. Amy. <laughs>